2: economic indicators. Who knows where this is
0: going to end up. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
2: This podcast is powered by ACAST.
0: How are you doing there? It is David. It's that time of the week again. Funny all week, it looks as if we're going to be even in a tighter lockdown for what's happening. Mm. How are you, Ed?
2: Well, when I hear that, that, I mean, I don't know about you, Mac, but I'm struggling much more in this final lockdown. Yeah, you were Well, not final it. lockdown. Go, go the, on it's and the on. final
0: <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> go on, you got to get it in. you got to get it in. Yeah, I know. I think, John, lots and lots of people are. I think there's, it's a combination of before Christmas, particularly with the vaccine, there was a real case. Okay. This thing's over. Our rates in this country were low. Mm. There was a sense that we're getting out of this thing. I think January's always a whore of a month anyway.
2: Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. How's your dry the,
0: January going? It's, it's
2: it's very soggy, actually.
0: <laughs> likewise, likewise.
2: <laughs> but you know what? It's I I am, you know, as you say, and like everybody's really tired of the lockdown and stuff and COVID. I can't actually watch any stories on COVID, but particularly the vaccine. Do you know why? Because every time they, they talk about the vaccine, out pops a needle sticking into somebody's arm. And, I just and you're again it. I can't watch it. I just can't watch it.
0: Well, John, we did we did suggest that you could go to France and have a yeah, suppository, yeah. which is the French way. Picking up your bum, my man. Do you know what I mean?
2: No, I'm all on for that. Won't be
0: the first time. <laughs> anyway. Oi, oi, oi. <laughs> anyway, it is great to have Jesus you on board. Christ, it's great to have you on board. Uh, Good news from the States, though.
2: Oh, isn't that great? It It, is great, actually. And and what was funny as well is the day after the inauguration, while everyone was celebrating the inauguration and stuff, there was a kind of a a calm, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. And it was kind of nice. Yeah, as Uh, if
0: a kind of a nasty presence has left
2: the building. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. We've we been exercised.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know what you're going to be doing, though, because you know, I'm, I'm, the, the last four <laughs> years were food and drink to you. Though. Well,
2: it was, actually. But let's just top off the whole Trump thing.
0: We're, now we're at peak Trump now.
2: Yeah, we are Trump. And I, I'm not going to go on, but I do have to mention a couple of things. Go One was, when we were talking to Tom Frank last week, he was saying that the O'Biden administration...
0: Yeah. The old Biden, yeah, exactly. The Obama stroke Biden with with a genuflection to Clinton in the nineties. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. That he wasn't going to roll back a lot of Trump stuff. But on day one, he signed seventeen or something executive orders, rolling back the XL pipeline and. Because
0: he's listening to us, <laughs> I bet he is. He's you know what Betty he, he is. There's a little. There's a little gremlin at the U.S. embassy <laughs> yeah. there in Balls Bridge. Hey Joey, this one's going out for uh, you, you, man. Hey, hey Joey. Yeah, exactly. But no, you're right. But I mean, he. You know, they are going for it. I mean, on the economic side, they're gonna roll out a two trillion, two trillion dollar stimulus. That's ten percent of American GDP. It's huge in one year. Enormous, so yeah. they are they are going for it.
2: And they'll get slated for that by the Republicans. They so will. The but huge you know, yeah, deficit, you know, the unusual. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the thing about the Republicans, we know mm. that when they are in opposition, they are fiscal conservatives. And when yeah. they are in power, they spend like drunken sailors. That's, yeah. the, that's the rule. It's like the Tories in England. The tories yeah, in England yeah, are exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. actually the same. And you could say it's like Fina Gale here. Ooh, right, yeah. Same idea. If yeah. you get in yeah. opposition, they're yeah. all tight arsed and, oh, don't do that, don't do this. And then they get in and it's, here we go, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's the way the centre-right position themselves yeah. always. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, when we're in opposition, we're one thing and when we're in power, we're completely different. But it is, it is good. I mean, there's a nice feeling about... The whole yeah. Biden era, isn't there?
2: Yeah, there is. There is. And, and I think he's, he's going to be up against it. You know, every move he does, he's going to be slated from the right. Because they've set themselves up that way now.
0: Yeah, but look, he's got a majority in the House. He's got a majority with Kamala as the swing vote in the Senate. Mm. He is the president. He's got the Fed behind him. He's got Wall Street behind him. There's a lot of things going for yeah. him, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about Lady Gaga? Oh, she you know, know my great.
2: crush? I know, you're a big man crush. i
0: supposed to have a lady crush on her, toe. Which would be quite hard for me to do, right? Right. But do you know who's
2: brilliant at the inauguration? By the way, I didn't really watch the inauguration. I only watched to make sure that Trump was off the press. He's <laughs> <You're>
0: exactly. <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. Get him off the premises and away we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't really bother. But I did catch Gart Brooks and his foot. He put on a lot of... COVID kilos, I know, but his voice was unbelievable singing a cappella. Garth
0: Abs- Brooks. Garth Brooks. A name that cannot be mentioned in Ireland without thinking yeah. of Croke Park. <laughs> I know. And the fact that but he I've... sold it out five times. Yeah, oh,
2: geez, I'd go to see him now. I have to I see him too. Look, I, I okay. Co- okay I
0: have, I, too man, far. man, we're talking about the clash last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, us, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you, sorry. Yeah. We, I lost the run we, myself We there. exited with <laughs> gangsters by the specials and you're talking about Garth Brooks. Get out of here. But speaking but, of speaking of COVID bags and things, I'm going to train this week. I'm yeah. I'm going to deal with... Well, you've been doing okay in the training. I'm telling you... I, My body is a temple. Yeah. My body is a temple. But Neil, our trainer, our boxer. A Ryoka temple. Exactly. (laughs) It's a temple to second rate red wine. Neil Bowman, the guy who trains you and I. Oh, he's brilliant. And we are. He's brilliant. Former boxer is offering, and I think we should do this. We should do it together, right? Yeah. But he's offering a package to anyone. And again, if in the lockdown, your head's a bit melted, your routine is gone, you feel a little bit all over the place, I can tell you that trying to do a little bit of exercise makes a massive, massive difference. I'm not talking mm, about, does. second, John and I being Iron Men now. I don't think so. <laughs> but just that idea of slightly in control of your day. thats a, You're kind of in control of something. Yeah. And Neil Bowman, who trains John and I, uh, he's a former boxer, great guy. He's offering the podcasters, because he was saying that a lot of, people that he actually trains listen to the podcast yes and i said i said why don't we why don't we just do an offer he's doing an online 15 classes in february for 50 euros which is really cheap it's a great deal so it's neilbowman.ie so particularly for you up david mcwilliams podcast listener it's going to be an online course but check it out and we'll give him a shout out at the end what else, man? Okay,
2: this is my last thing on Trump, and then I'm never going to mention him again. I just want to mention about the his pardons. He did most of his pardons at about one o'clock in the morning, and he
0: pardoned... Just have this image and, of him. I know. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, horrible. But so who
2: did he pardon? He, well, he pardoned basically, essentially all his mates, yeah. and they were all corrupt. So the message that came from that is that corruption is good. Essentially. But let me tell you, the one guy that I was just shocked, I didn't know about before that he pardoned was a guy called Shalom Vise. Now he was a he was a fraudster and a Ponzi scheme guy. Grifter, like your man. Yeah. And he was money laundering, insurance scams, the whole lot. He was convicted and sentenced to eight hundred and thirty-five years.
0: Wow. And he pardoned Isn't that amazing? Look, it confirms what a lot of people... There's a lot of people felt that the whole Trump enterprise, the family enterprise, was kind of like a quasi-criminal gang. Yeah. Of fraudsters and spoofers and
2: tax evaders and whatever. But the one guy I kind of felt sorry for, maybe I shouldn't, but the guy was expecting a pardon. He'd got into his, his suit. He, had, he organized a limo outside the prison and everything. Do you know who that was? Who? Joe Exotic. And he didn't the fella, get... The tiger fella. <laughs> And he didn't get pardoned. He had to shuffle back to his cell.
0: Oh, I must The poor submit. fella. The poor fella, but I mean, but again, I come back to this idea of a, a, a sort of a quasi-criminal enterprise. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Here's Carl. How are you, sunshine? Are any money? <laughs> <laughs> Remember I was talking to you, John, about the difference between being an issuer of money, the central bank, and a user of money right? There is evidence. You are the central bank. The central bank that my kids think that down here in the basement yeah. is a printing press. Yeah. So that's that's what I've just turned into. Tony, <laughs> if any odds? Any odds? Any yes. odds? The good thing about Joe Biden is climate change, John. This is something you're really interested in. Yeah, absolutely. The first thing he said is, we are going to profoundly shift the way in which America deals with climate change. And because America is still the biggest country in the world, the most important, this will have a profound impact. And in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to Kate Rayworth, Great. Yeah. Who is a fantastic economist and the fascinating stuff. author of that great book, Donut mm. Economics. But this is a big change. Let's talk about the environment, because this week we're going to talk about green economics, how it can be achieved, why it has to be achieved, and why the last few days with Biden has changed the background noise. It's, kind of, it's as if the orchestra has changed. Yeah. John, about four years ago at Kilkenomics, so when we're putting together Kilkenomics, what you do is you kind of, you try to figure out what books are in the market, new ideas, you know, and, yeah. and then try yeah. to find these people and say, do you want to come over to Kilkenny in Ireland for a weird festival? And an amazing amount of people say yes. And about four years ago, on our radar screen came this book, Donut Economics, even the title, I thought, well, what, what is hmm. this? By a fantastic economist called Kate Raworth from the UK. And initially we were worried about, you know, when you're putting these gigs on, you're always say will we get a good enough good enough crowd, you know? Because mm. the last thing you want is a big hall and nobody comes because yeah, nobody's yeah, yeah. heard of the thing. So there's a couple of great venues in Kilconomics. One's called The Hole in the Wall, which is a 16th yeah, century, it. it's a 16th century building. It's an yeah. extraordinary place. It's, just, it's, down, it's down that little laneway, isn't it? Yeah, and it was crucial, crucial, down the laneway. It played a crucial role in the Ormond Rebellion Oh. In Cromwellian times, that oh, part, it was really? yeah, it was the whole New because it, sec- it was a secret. There was a secret chapel yeah. in that place. So it's fantastic history, right? right. Fantastic I didn't history. Know that. That's great. And run by an amazing character called Michael. Yeah, Michael happens to be. I remember one time, and this is one of the charms of Kilconomics. I was sitting with Jeff Sachs, yeah. having a glass of wine, and Michael started talking to him. And Jeff Sachs, of course, knows everything about everything. Yeah. So talking about <laughs> medicine right, and yeah. a, a new medicine. And Michael revealed that he is the local heart consultant in Kilkenny, as well as the... Really? As well as the runner of The Hole in the Wall. And Jeff, Jeff Sachs says, Anna here. He said, I said, he is. He's the local consultant, cardiac consultant in Kilkenny General and the man who runs the bar in The Hole in the Wall. That's mad. <laughs> Isn't that mad? Anyway, we put on Kate Raworth. Right? We said, would you like to come over? We really like this idea. She was amazing. And ever since then, this book has been, we put it in the hole in the wall and then we could have sold hundreds of tickets to it, yeah, you know, yeah. and then bigger venues and bigger venues. And of course, this, this book has really changed the way people think about the economy. And Michael D. Higgins, our own president, has come out as being a massive fan of Donut Economics and Kate Rayworth. So let's go and talk to her.
1: Kate, it's lovely to have you. How are you? It's fantastic to be here. It's great to hear you tell that story about Kilconomics. That basically shows that if you want to get something in front of the president, just stick it in a pub in Kilconomics and in a couple of years he'll be talking about it. Exactly. So simple.
0: No, but I mean, Donut Economics, the success of Donut Economics has been phenomenal and so much so that there's now an Irish Donut Economics Network which we're going to talk about at the end. We're going to give them a plug and we're going to make sure that everybody tunes into that. If it's online, I presume it is online, and everybody maybe goes to that website or goes to wherever those guys are talking about donut economics. But Kate, tell me, what is donut economics?
1: So it sounds a bit crazy, doesn't it? So donut economics is the only donut that actually turns out to be good for us. Let's start here. We're not encouraging people to you know, an unhealthy diet, no, 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 this is a conceptual one. You don't have to eat it. You just have to think about it. So let me start with the fact that we know we're in crisis. We know that we are living in times of, you know, the 21st century began with financial meltdown. We live in an era of climate and breakdown. We are across the world living through COVID lockdown. These crises are occurring again and again, and they're emerging from the systems we've created. They're emerging from actually the economic systems that we've created that based upon endless expansion, whether it's of financial assets or of the use of fossil fuels or indeed endless travel and expansion into wildlife areas. So we need to transform what we think prosperity and thriving is. And the donut is a vision of 21st century thriving. So just imagine in your head a donut, the kind that's got a hole in the middle. And the aim here is to leave nobody falling short in the hole in that middle of the donut. That's where people are falling short on the essentials of life. It's where people don't have food and water and healthcare, education, housing, all of the essentials that the world's governments have agreed that every person in the world has a claim to. So leave no one in the hole, but at the same time, don't overshoot the outer crust of the donut because there we put so much pressure on using Earth's resources that we begin to break down the planet's life-supporting systems. We break down the stable climate. We acidify the oceans. We create a hole in the ozone layer. These are known as planetary boundaries. So. The two sides of the donut are like the boundaries for human thriving. Leave no one facing deprivation, but don't cause ecological degradation. So we need to thrive. And I'll just say that the, 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 it changes the shape of progress. Because if you think about the way politicians or business leaders or even journalists talk about economic progress in the 20th century, and still now it's got a long tail, it's growth. Everything is about yeah, growth, absolutely. GDP growth. Can... growth yeah. Yeah, growth and recovery, the shoots of recovery, growth, growth, growth. And that, so the shape of progress in the 20th, 20th century mindset is this ever rising line that goes up, 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 up. It just goes through the roof off to, we don't know where, it just grows forever. Well, nothing in nature grows forever. Things that try to grow forever destroy themselves and the system on which we, they depend. So donor economics starts from a very different place. It says, you know what, things that thrive, that last, they grow until they're grown up, and then they mature and they thrive, just like our bodies thrive, right? Thrive in a a range of temperatures. We need some food, but not too much, some exercise, not too much, warmth, but not too much. Just like that, from the human body to the planetary body, we need to understand that our well-being lies in thriving, in balance. So instead of pursuing endless growth, we're pursuing a balance. And it's a really, really different, deep metaphor of what economic success looks like. So that's at the heart of donor economics.
0: And tell me, gonna, I want to have a look, I'm going to talk about donor economics in a sec, but you and, my, you and me, both economists, both went through the traditional way of looking at it. When did you have, just personally, this epiphany, you said, oh, hold on a second, this doesn't, this doesn't add up. Something else needs to be added to the mix, taken out from the mix. What was it that you said? Okay, I don't believe the stuff I've learned anymore.
1: Mm. So like you said, I live in Oxford and that's because I moved back here to work for Oxfam nearly 20 years ago but it's ironic because i now live in the city where i studied economics i came to oxford university in, in the early 1990s i kind of bright eyed student i wanted to learn the language of public policy i want you know teenager of the 80s i saw the ethiopian famine i saw the hole in the ozone layer i want the tools and the skills to help do something about that so here i came skipping to oxford university to learn economics and the bookshop that i went into and bought my textbooks you know it, it's just my is now my local bookshop and and the The books, I was so busy learning economic theory, because I'd never studied it at school, so I was on that kind of catch up with everybody else, that at first I didn't notice. It took me about a year and a half to realise the stuff I cared about wasn't really visible. It was at the margins of the theory. If you wanted to talk about climate change and the death of the living world, economists will say, yes, 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 that's an externality. You just have to say, excuse, even, me. Even excuse word, me.
0: Even the word, even the word The very
1: word, the no. death of the living world is what we call an environmental externality. Well, it's only an externality because economics goes, welcome to economics here's supply and demand and sticks the market smack in front of our faces on day one as if that was the center point of the economy. And therefore anything that falls outside market contracts, anything that doesn't have a market price on it, by definition gets called an externality. Well, that's just a choice of how you've chosen to frame it, where you've chosen to start and what you've put at the centre of your vision. And you've left the living world on the outside. So I really wanted to study environmental issues. There wasn't even a paper on offer at the university at the time to study environmental economics. I just find it phenomenal. So I'm I'm just about to turn 50. So any policymaker out there in the world who's just about to turn 50 probably didn't really study environmental economics. And yet they are the ones who are now trying to manage the environment as government ministers it's missing from the background and and it's still far too much missing today today it's still an option you can study environmental economics if you want to but you don't have to you could still graduate as an economist and know kind of diddly squat about how the living world actually works and i'm sorry but at the beginning of the 21st century that is extraordinarily dangerous and wrong so i was thrown by this concept of externalities and i found myself graduating realising I never wanted to sort of put my hand out and say, hello, I'm an economist. Like, that just felt Don't worry,
0: don't worry. I've had that. Uh, I, we have many disguises. <laughs> uh, I've had that problem for many, many years. You can, you know, it's it's, it's true. You know, a petty criminal is a far better uh, introduction. You're far more interesting. You've got a good backstory. You have interesting mates. No, I hear you. I do hear you. So go on. Yeah, keep
1: talking and as well, when I was writing Donut Economics, um, I had very young school children, twins who were about five years old, and I would stand at the school gates in the afternoon, to pick them up and, and chat to other parents. And when parents would say to me, so what do you do? And I said, well, actually, I'm writing a book about rethinking economics. I mean, the first thing people do is they recoil. Oh, yeah. And no, then no, no, they no. say, <laughs> they say, oh, I, I was never very good at maths at school. And I said, well, look, the only numbers in my book are the page numbers. I mean, you can do this. Because yeah. I don't think economics is about numbers. Economics.
0: This is a hallelujah moment for me. Because, <laughs> no, I swear to God, Kate, I mean, the reason I set up Kilconomics years ago was to basically say, economics is not about numbers and maps and charts and things that repel people because these freak people out. I know, I can see kids, kids are freaked out. And I said, we put comedy in there to basically make sure that everyone speaks the language of the street or the pub or the bar and not this highfalutin language of the academy and we'll see what happens. But let's come back to you. So you have this sort of... Well, no, that's
1: that's very smart to do that. And, and, And let's start with... Economics, right, it's a it's a word made up of two words from ancient Greek, ekos and nomos. It means the art of household management. So whenever I say to people, actually, economics means the art of household management. So let's just all start by thinking, what would you need to know if you really wanted to help manage the household. And in the 21st century, we can't stop short of anything but the planetary household. So the first thing you'd want to know is how this household works. So you'd start by learning earth system science. You'd understand that you need a a climate system and a hydrological system and that we need soils and a thriving web of life. And then you'd ask yourself, who are the inhabitants of the household and whose interests we want to manage? Like, What are people actually like? Because mainstream economics has traditionally taught a very, very narrow model that's known as rational economic man, and this yeah. character, I draw a little picture of him, he's a little stick man, standing alone with money in his hand, ego in his heart, a calculator in his head, and nature at his feet. He's this little calculating machine that wants to know the price of everything. And that's an absurd depiction of us, but when we tell ourselves that he's like us, researchers have found, this is fascinating, researchers found the more that we tell ourselves, so oh, that's rational economic man, and he's kind of sums up who we are, we become more like him. So students yep. actually start to value competitiveness, value self-interest over collaboration and altruism, which is equally who we actually are. We are deeply social, collaborative creatures. Of course, we can be both and we need to nurture the side of our human nature that will enable us to get along 10 billion of us on this shared planet. So economics has to mean the art of household management, the planetary household in the interest of humans and the rest of nature. And then once we've started with that, and that's the donut diagram. Now let's ask ourselves, Hmm, what kind of arrangements and designs? How could we use markets? How? What's the role of the state? Let's remember the role of the household of unpaid caring work, the cooking, washing, cleaning, sweeping that goes on behind every door that makes life hold together and makes families, you know, it's the essence of care and love and nurture and the commons. I mean, during the times of COVID, we've seen the commons step up, whether it's a, a community WhatsApp group, Look, checking in on everybody. Are you okay? Or it's a food bank. It's that sense of communal caring. And so we need the market and the state and the household and the commons. And for me, these are the essence of the economy, the interdependence of these actors. And so any economic class that begins with welcome to economics is the market. I just find an absolute violation of. Today's students who have to cope with the complexities of the world they've inherited, they deserve so much a richer starting point. So I wrote this book to bring together all the economics I'd never been taught. I dived into ecological economics and feminist economics, complexity economics and behavioral economics and institutional economics. And these are big sounding words, but they really bring very common sense ideas together. And I wanted to write it in a way that everybody can understand. You know, for me, my favorite thing is someone said, I never thought I'd pick up an economics book. But I really understood this and I'm excited and I want to be involved. So I I wanted to see what happens when these ideas dance on the same page. And it's a great thrill for me to find that the very bookshop where I bought my textbooks is now selling donut economics to this generation of students.
0: Now, when someone like Michael D, our, our president, reads this, what do you think sparks off in his head? What's the eureka moment Something like that is happening? Because I also know that the city of Amsterdam is very interested in introducing your idea. So, I mean, this is, this is gaining huge amounts of uh, mm. credence and huge amount of momentum.
1: Yeah. So when I was writing the book, I very intentionally thought to myself, I am not going to try and appeal to governments and politicians, because if I do that, I know I will write an incremental book. I will try and write something that's feasible and practicable and sensible, and I'll just write a book for 2020 economics. And there's a zillion papers and policies and recommendations already out there. So I literally took out of my view government. The one thing that's really amazed me since the book came out three years ago is the number of governments and policymakers and politicians and civil servants who kind of coming running to it and I think it's a sign that they are ready for something transformative but also how fast this world is moving how fast these crises are are multiplying and how thin they know the language of growth is absolutely because they 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 caveat it we want green growth clean growth good growth strong growth resilient growth shared growth you know have any future you want as long as it's growth but actually it's clear from that we want something more so The donut, as a concept is at the global scale of humanity on a living planet. But of course, most policymaking happens much closer to home at the national level or the city level. And what's been really exciting over the last 18 months is the number of cities like Amsterdam, now Copenhagen, there's work going on in Brussels, in Berlin, in maybe in Barcelona, but also nations like Costa Rica. Uh, It's got a lot of resonance in New Zealand. And then I'm just thrilled that you're your prez Michael D has now picked it up and is saying he believes donut economics should be the, the compass. I have to say, David Attenborough, the man himself, has also recently published in his new book his witness statement. He's published the donut and said this should be the compass for the future. Wow. I know he's not government, but you wow. know he's, kind he's of... much
0: more than government. <laughs> he's much better than government.
1: David Attenborough. Well, he's he's incredibly valuable as an influencer because people yeah, listen is. to him and trust. Everyone listens him. to him. So, so governments are listening to it because I can see that governments are. I do not envy any government right now, right? You're coping with a legacy of financial crisis in many countries and austerity that they imposed for better or for much worse. You've got climate breakdown, which thank goodness there is the declaration of climate and ecological emergency in over 100 countries now. So brilliant activism has made governments recognise that we're in emergency. Now you've got to change, you've got to act and you've got to get all those vested interests of fossil fuels and big chemical companies out of your pockets because you need to make a transformative leap in a new direction, but that's not easy. And now you've got COVID and health crises. So there's no way governments can try and respond to these one at a time you know, you can't have separate. You've got to have a transformative mindset. And so I can see that governments are looking for something that brings them all together and they all are visible in the donut. And then the questions are that what kind of investments are going to we, we make as we come out of COVID? What kind of investments are we going to make? Are we going to build back those old industries that have shut down? Are we going to go back and just reboot the old ones? Or are we going to actually leap towards the future we already knew we needed? Investing in regenerative Nature-based solutions that, like the UK, has phenomenally depleted landscapes. Right, I, and I don't know. I don't know the state of, of the land in Ireland, but here it's just the, it's such depleted nature. We have to reinvest in in restoring. Yeah, I mean, nature. I think
0: I think if you talk to anyone who understands anything about what was here in Ireland and mm, what is yeah. here now, just in yeah. terms of the diversity of, of the vegetation, in terms of the land use, etc. They will all say that we have depleted profoundly, but they will also say the beautiful thing about the planet is it's a renewable resource. It can do it. It can be reprogrammed. Now, what I want to talk to you about is cities because there's a huge amount of discussion now, not just in Ireland, but everywhere, about what is the future of the city after COVID? So COVID's been the sort of wake-up call that, you know, do we have to commute in every day? Mm. Do we have to leave... This house, which was empty to go to that office and then come back, you know, etc. How do we create a living city? How do we create a sustainable city? How do we create a city that people put their hands up and say, I want to live there? Yeah. Tell me about that. Because cities and progressive or forward-looking mayors, because sometimes progressive is, a, is sometimes an unusual term, forward-looking mayors and, 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 and city managers have been flocking to you.
1: So cities like Amsterdam, uh, it was really interesting in the height of their COVID infection rate last April, Amsterdam released their Amsterdam City Donut, which is a portrait of the city we've created through the lens of the the donut. So let me just offer you, and I invite anybody listening to think now of a city that you know and love. This is the ambitious question we invite every 21st century city to ask itself. Okay, So how can your city be a home to thriving people in a thriving place? While respecting the well-being of all people and the health of the whole planet. So, what does it mean for the people of your city to thrive, right? The culture, the norms, the values, the aspirations, it's going to be different in Dar es Salaam and Stockholm and Dublin. So the people of a place, their history, their values, their culture is going to determine what thriving means. What does it mean for your city to thrive? in the ecological habitat that it's a part of. Every city is located on a different part of Earth's surface in a different part of her web of life. What is nature doing there? Is she, how is she sequestering carbon and storing water and creating soil and housing biodiversity? And what would it mean for our cities to aim to actually be as generous as the wildland next door? You just said nature is incredibly generous. My gosh, she's been forgiving so far. How do we make our Absolutely. cities belong? In the habitats of which they're a part. So that's local aspiration, thriving people in a thriving place. Then we have to ask all the materials, the food, the electronics, the clothing, the construction materials that are imported into every city from worldwide, how do we bring the footprint of our ecological impact back within planetary boundaries? And that's a massive transformation. And how do we bring the footprint of the waste streams that we create back within? But also at the end of those supply chains are people who pick and pack our food and stitch and sew our clothes and dig and transport the, the materials. How do we respect the work the, the work of those people? So these are very, very big questions for cities. The 20th century city, and, and let's think of kind of capital cities with the big business district. You Absolutely, know, you just yeah, yeah. Look at the buildings. You can see the mindset behind those buildings said, executives need to fly to meet face-to-face and workers need to commute to work shoulder to shoulder, right? And let's pack them high in these glass houses in the city center. And, and what COVID has shown us all is that, you know what, we can have great conversations online, just, over Zoom, just over like this. It, yeah, Just absolutely. like this one, yeah, yeah. we can get a lot done. And actually, I think there was a day in July 2019 where over 225,000 airplanes worldwide took off. Just think that, 225,000 airplanes took off in one day. Wow. July 2019 will probably go down in history and I hope it goes down in history as the moment of peak takeoff because we don't need all those flights. And though some of them are about family reunions and weddings and connecting with loved ones, a lot of them are about executives meeting face to face to make the next deal. We don't need that. So I think 21st century cities will move away from this intense commuting and traveling. And I think we're gonna lean towards what Mayor Anne Hidalgo has been doing in Paris, which is called the 15 minute city. So she said, from any neighborhood within this city, you should within 15 minutes on a bike or on public transport, be able to get to a place of work. Your doctor, your school, your local shops, your community center, you should be able to live in a radius so that we don't have people traveling across all the time. And in fact, for many cities, it's like going back to the history. You know, I grew up in part of London. London, of course, is just a series of villages that ended up being interconnected. So it's coming back to that small village. Now, the beauty of that is it brings you back to community. We're all searching for community. People so often love where they live because they know the people in the coffee shop, their neighbours, they feel uh, like they belong. Absolutely.
0: And there, and there is this, this deep human yearning to belong to something. Uh, it's, and I and, and, you know when you go beyond family, it is community and it is clubs and it's volunteerism. And it's all this is we have we have this uh, extraordinary organization in Ireland called the GAA, which is ostensibly a sports organization. But it's much, much bigger than that. And mm. it goes deep, deep into, you know, initially it was a movement, a national movement 100 years ago, 120 years ago. But now it's it's deep in the community. And people really identify with it. It actually adds to their sense of the place, even if their engagement is only watching the sport or going down to the club. But it's the same idea. So let's talk about that, that idea that people want belonging.
1: Yeah. And I think I'm asking myself, why is it there's so much momentum at the scale of the city? And I think it is partly that people so often feel proud and they feel in a membership and allegiance more to their city than their nation. Maybe that's not, you might understand me sitting here in the UK. I'm kind of feeling that at the moment. I, find, you know, I, I yeah. would never go around waving a flag saying I'm English or I'm from the UK, but I feel much more proud of the place I'm from. And I know there's cities in the UK that people really feel proud they're from because that city's doing something. And of course, there's something about the scale of a city that it means you, you're often only three steps away from actually being able to be in a room with a policymaker, with a councillor, with a change maker, with that local business leader, so we can get stuff done at a city scale, and then also a lot of cities, of course, are about infrastructure. City governments don't have national policy levers; they don't, they can't control taxation, they they can't generate new finance, and that's a real challenge for them. But what they can do is change a car lane into a bike lane, and then whoop, look how you flip the transport system. They can zone in, build in children's centres and see how you flock a new community sense there. You can make space for sports grounds and enable people to meet so you can actually change the, the physical way that people travel and meet and connect. And that is so much the fabric of our lives. So I'm really excited about working with change makers at the city scale who've picked up the donut. We, we've created it as a what we call the Donut city portrait through that question I asked, and we've published how we did it, because we know that there are dynamic change makers everywhere who will pick up the methodology that we've made and say, right, we're gonna put this into practice here and we're gonna, we're gonna tweak it because we're gonna make it work for us here. And that's fabulous because then they're making it their own. And that's what's happening now. Change makers, whether they are based in universities or community groups, or indeed working with the city council, starting to say, what would it mean for our city to meet the needs of all of its people within the means of the planet. Let's come up with our own vision.
0: Now, let's just maybe conclude on this. As you said, England is in a strange, neurotic place now with Brexit and with this present government. And, and the United Kingdom looks to be atrophying as a, as a sovereign state, or at least it's going that way. There's a huge debate going on in the European Union. We have a, all these various different movements in Middle Europe and Eastern Europe. And we've got this quite significant difference of how you live your life between a citizen in Amsterdam, for example, and a citizen in Belgrade, and a citizen in Poland, which is going through its own very retrogressive revolution now, it seems to me, and a citizen in Bordeaux. So when you when you look at all these crises and all these sort of slight little tremors going on all the time, are you confident that the enthusiasm for donut and donut economics and it might not have end up being called this, but some sort of alternative view of the world is more reasonable now in terms of being optimistic than it was ten years ago.
1: So, I like that you said that uh, Donut Economics and it might not end up being called this because you, you tapped into something. Like, I, I've given it the most ridiculous name, oh, it's right? A great name. I it's a great no, name. No, come on, but it's great. It's so ridiculous. Who doesn't like Donuts? Like Who doesn't like Donuts? I, 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 I feel it's a bit like the comedy act that comes on before the main show. And I'm, not, I'm waiting <laughs> for the main show to turn up with a really serious grown up name. And so it's great that the comedy actors, you know, let's talk about donuts. But you know what? But partly because a lot of people are intimidated by economics, as we said. But no one is afraid of donuts. So when you stick donut and economics together, <laughs> people right. know that I this is for absolutely. them. Absolutely. You have permission to play. You can take it and be silly with it. Let's have a laugh with it. Why not? So, yes, there are tremors and setbacks, and and every country is in its own turmoil. Now, a systems thinker who thinks in terms of complex system would at this point say. It's very interesting you know that complex systems when they're at a tipping point they have a lot of wobble in them there's a lot of variation they sort of tremor and wobble before they system shift well let's hope that these are tremors of a system shift there's that there the, those who are leaping forwards and those who are absolutely clinging on to the old way and recalcitrant so first of all i'm going to hope that these tremors that we're seeing are system shift secondly This work of transforming our economies to make them fit for thriving 21st century, this is big teamwork. There are so many people involved in it and there are so many crucial roles. So we need people on the team who are pulling down the old system, who are exposing corruption, who are through transparency, revealing vested interests, who are locking onto oil rigs and stopping them from operating. I am so with those folks but we also need people who are exemplifying the new, pointing out the possibility, showing the vision, and and then pointing to where it's already in practice. And donor Economics is standing there in this big team of transformers. It's standing in the space of possibility. So I'm also a mum of twins, they've just turned 12, which means over the past decade, I've had not very much time, I've been a mum. And so my strategy, it's forced me to have this quite simple strategy, which is just go where the energy is. I never knock on a shut door. I have never once asked or begged or requested anybody to ever talk about donor economics. And the beauty of that approach is that you then quickly find out where the energy is and who really wants to do this. So if there are countries and politicians and business leaders who won't touch it or indeed economics departments, because there's plenty of them who don't want anything to do with it, that's fine. You just carry on doing your thing. We are going to put all our energy in working with the change makers who don't wait for permission and don't wait to be invited, who just pick it up and start running with it because they know it's the future they want to create. So we're thrilled. We're working with teachers worldwide who say, oh, I'm just going to teach this, even though it's not on the curriculum. I'm just going to teach this because I know this is what my students need to know. No. I am going to work with communities who say we have declared a climate emergency on a local council now we're going to create a donut for here we're working with businesses who want to put into practice with governments and policy makers so we're going where the energy is and we've created an online community it's called donut economics action lab
0: well, we're going we're going and we're going to plug the irish we're going to plug the irish version oh, we're of gonna, this we're
1: going to yeah because no, but, so, but it's so, true. So, a
0: friend of mine who's who's very much in, the, in 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 this activist world once said to me look it's very simple go with the willing Never yeah. go with the unwilling. The unwilling will yeah. destroy you. They'll sap their energy. They'll undermine you. They will destroy everything you built. Uh, tell me the and the Irish Donut Irish Donut Network. Tell me about this is a so, cup of tea. This is a so,
1: so. First of all, for anybody, there's Donut Economics Action Lab, which and you can just find it at donuteconomics.org. It's a platform anybody can join. There's tools there that we've made for teachers and community groups and businesses and governments. There's stories of how other people are putting into practice. And the beautiful thing is we only launched about a month ago and we opened the doors and all these people start joining and they think what's going to happen what's going to happen and of course one of the first things that happened is some brilliant folks in Ireland said right we're going to hold a a virtual cuppa and they just advertised an event anybody in Ireland wants to talk about donor economics and they they have literally the first event and a whole bunch of people turned up and now they've set up a book group they're reading a chapter a week Anyone can jump in a, and join us. A nation another.
0: of leaders we are. A nation oh, of are, leaders. You are right <laughs> high in my heart at the moment,
1: guys. From your president to your changemakers to your book club, and they have formed the Irish Donut Economics Network, IDEN. It's even got a snappy acronym, you see. Well, listen, we? We,
0: we will be on this podcast promoting this. And, Kate, we could chat all night. It's fantastic. You know, sometimes you get a... You know, you know that idea that you just said about energy? And the willing mm. and going, yeah. you know, sometimes you read something and there's an energy jumping off the page. There's an energy when people, it's this idea when you meet people who are converting to something, there's a real taste of yes. this yes. is possible. Yes. And all, as you said, all these tremors are just signaling yes. that the old way is now, it's not redundant because it, nothing's redundant, but just take bits of that. And joining you, and you're right about the complex systems. You know, complex systems and complex organisms and living organisms. It's like our own body. How does our body deal with things? It deploys the immune system. We figure things out. We rest a wee bit, and then we go forward. So, you know, Kate, it's it's wonderful. Are you going to come, Kilconomics Twenty Twenty One? Oh, I'd love to. Absolutely. I'd love to, because because
1: we could have a great big old donut economics party in Ireland now. There's a there's a darn community of you guys and and can i just say the last thing that to me the most fabulous thing about change makers like the folks in ireland who've started IDEN is they inspire others so once there was an irish virtual couple one popped up in brazil one pops up all over the place so the transformation you know your president saying i i i believe in donut economics we've posted that on our platform and i'm i've seen people email it and tweet it to their president saying come on next in line come on come on So you guys are leading from the community groups to the president. Thank you for this leadership. I swear it's going to inspire people everywhere. So, yeah,
0: join us. Brilliant stuff. Listen, Kate, take care. This is fantastic. We'll
1: talk to you soon. Great pleasure. Cheers.
2: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
0: So, Kate there, John. I mean, I know you've done environment, you, you've got a degree in environmental science. I, I just loved
2: everything she said, because, when, yes, I did environment, and we, there was a lot of environmental economics and politics that we did at the University of Greenwich, And that was the bit that fascinated me most. But at the time, they talked about externalities and, you know, as as Kate did. But the problem was, we all identified the problem, but there were no real practical ideas or solutions. And even to very, very recently, stuff like the environment and environmental economics always took second
0: best
2: to market economics and it's this ongoing battle as she referred to it's a battle kind of within ourselves either following market economics or the other side of us which is a little bit more altruistic and caring and softer you know yeah and this is the ongoing battle but now with donut economics it feels like we're we're not quite there yet but we're looking at practical solutions and a new direction
0: And a new way of thinking. A new way of thinking, This is what I find what Kate is doing. And with some success, John, it must be said, is she's reframing, she and other economists, but she in particular reframing the way in which we see economics. And rather than look at the living planet as something that we can gouge, abuse, and that will constantly forgive us, that's the idea.
2: I loved For, her her phrase of the the planetary household.
0: The planetary household. Mm. But these things are, are 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 really critical. And I mean, the one problem that we have, there's many problems with economics. But what I'm what I'm really enjoying at the moment is economics is actually going through a lot of self analysis. Yeah. And there are there is a lot of alternative thinking, and there's a lot of people saying, "Hold on a second, this is not this idea of linear growth." Yeah. Without any damage psychologically, emotionally, environmentally, etc. Is a nonsense. It yeah. is a nonsense.
2: Well, you know that the, the great quote from David Attenborough: "If somebody tells you that there's endless growth, they're either a lunatic or an economist."
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but one interesting thing for Ireland is think about energy in the future. Energy, renewable energy, has to come from one of four areas: wind, wave, solar, or geothermal. Yeah, they're the the four renewables. Ireland is the Saudi Arabia. Of wind and wave, go out the bloody door. You get blown away. If we can figure out a way of capturing energy, yeah. storing it in some sort of battery,
2: yeah, its consistency is
0: the big thing. But if we yeah. can figure that out, yeah. if engineers can figure that out, yeah, this place becomes the Saudi Arabia of the twenty first century. I mean, the Danes already supply half their energy needs by wind. Yeah, so they've figured it out. They've they've kind of clocked it. So. There are huge upsides for us in what Kate is saying as a society, mm. as a producer of energy. And we should look at it in this way. Like this is not something to be afraid of. Yeah. This is something we could actually embrace.
2: Yeah. And I agree with you totally. But to put my cynical hat on.
0: You don't have a cynical hat.
2: I, I do. I have it in my drawer. Good. And Good. here Good. it is.
0: Pull that out. Exactly.
2: Is it's a little bit simplistic, a little bit utopian, a little bit woke, the whole thing. So, yeah. so in order to, I mean, I still like the ideas. Are we
0: a woke free zone? Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Like fair be, enough. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, but how do we,
2: how do we go about transitioning from market economics to this donut economics? How can are, we do that? How how can we accelerate that?
0: Well, I mean, that's like, Andy Haldane was on this podcast a couple of months ago, right? And he said that. Real change happens when culture and technology change at the same time. So when the technology allows the change, but also when the culture facilitates it. And I think that on the environmental movement, it is a matter of culture. It is a matter of reiterating all the time that, hold on a second, the idea that we can gouge the world of its resources, that in some way we can expand the planet, We can't. The planet Mm. is fixed, you know. I'll give you a statistic. The average American consumes 32 times the energy of the average Kenyan, right? So think about this, right? So the population can only grow if our consumption goes down, maybe not to Kenyan levels, but to something like African levels. And that means a completely different worldview, right? And that's what you're saying. So cynically, Mm. the idea is that what always defines humanity is procrastination. I'll swap tomorrow. Yeah. I'll do my Ecker after Glen Rowe on a Sunday night. That's, we're programmed. So you know when you were kids, you had your Ecker doing Friday night, Saturday night, never did until the very end. This is the same thing, that economics facilitates procrastination. But if we can impose a cost through taxation on environmental degradation, then I think the conversation will move as it is moving. And the good thing about it is, the more people like this that are in the ether, the more actual Joe Bidens that are at the yep. at the top of politics talking about this, the better. And this can only lead to an economic system that is more sustainable. But I do take your point that for every Kate Rayworth in economics, there are hundred tenured professors who believe in free market economics exclusively. Now I always think that the yeah. market. The market is critical because you can't run an economy without a market. Yeah. It still is the best mechanism, but it can be controlled, and it can be nudged, and it can be massaged, and it can be influenced. And the best way to do that, unfortunately, still through the price mechanism. And how you do this through taxation. So subsidies for green energy and penalties for gas guzzlers, and I think it can be done.
2: Yeah, but just just one thing though, Mac. You know, you you just compared an American to a Kenyan. Yeah, but. We also spoke about many times that in the coming decades, the one area that's going to develop at a much faster rate, especially with all the the Belt and Road initiative from China and all the investment, is Africa. So that balancing out while we can reduce some of our consumption in the developed Western world, the consumption of resources it's going to shoot up in the likes of africa
0: well i mean you've painted that as the big picture so you, we're going to have 7 billion citizens yeah. people but if we say to those 7 billion people you are 7 billion consumers right mm. okay you're chinese you're indians you're africans okay right then you will have this this collision whereas you've got this the irresistible force of 7 billion consumers wanting to consume like americans yeah. It's gonna smash into this unmovable object, which is the limitations of the worth of the, the limitations of the planet's resources. Yeah. So that's the, the basic mathematics. So if we can find different ways of expanding energy, which are renewables, at least it'll begin the process of slowing that down. But I mean, you are right to be cynical, you are right to be skeptical. Yeah. But skepticism and cynicism is what actually leads us backwards not forwards no
2: I know and I'm also optimistic I also feel that Kate Rayworth and the Iden that she spoke about
0: yes um,
2: I think that is a brilliant first step and I'm right behind it all the way
0: just while I have you again, John and I are training with Neil. It's mainly for our heads more than our neds, isn't it? Yeah, because the neds have actually the neds. The gonna heads mind. More than neds, it is the, the, the neds are going to mind their own. But anyway, neilbowman.ie, check it out. We're going to be training in February. He's offering for 50 quid online courses. We're it's all going to be stuck inside, talent. and I, I'm telling you, it, it's good for the can if nothing else.